of that verse, or that in the song, it's your breath in our lungs. Uh, my name's Greg Jarvis, and my wife and I have been attending Genesis virtually or in person ever since we first began. And uh, at this time, uh, take your Bibles out, your apps, uh, scrolls, papyrus, whatever you have. If you don't have anything, there's Bibles at the end of each row. And uh, we welcome you to take those. And if you don't have an easy-to-read Bible at home, feel free to take one of those as a gift from Genesis. Um, those who are keeping track of how long people have been here, it's been 11 or 12 years that we've been here, if that's important. Uh, the November 19th passage is Micah 7, 1 through 17. That's in the Genesis Bible here at page 868. Um, in your Bible, it comes after uh, Amos and Jonah, uh, and right before Nahum and Habakkuk. So, I was searching a little while myself. Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them a thorn hedge. The day of your watchmen, of your punishment, has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light and I shall look upon his vindication. Then my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like the mire of the streets. A day for building of your walls. In that day, the boundary shall be far extended. In that day, they shall come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt and from Egypt to the river, from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain. But the earth will be desolate because of its inhabitants for the fruit of their deeds. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. As in the days when you came out from the land of Egypt, I will show them marvelous things. 
The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things of earth. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn in dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. Morning, welcome. How are we doing this morning? Did anybody actually say we do barbecue on Thanksgiving? Oh, we have a few. All right, there you go. My solution is simple. Smoke the turkey. Get both, right? That's what we're doing. Anyway, uh, but we're, we're glad you're hanging out with us. Hey, it was cool to see our kids up here this morning. Um, to, to, to see, like, like, I love our green shirts. And if you're, not, if you're new to us, you don't know who I'm talking about. If you see people walking around in green shirts, that means they work in Genesis Kids and they're serving and loving our kids. And, and to see that we're going to not only week by week invest the gospel in them, but also have this moment where we take a few kids who are really ready to, to, to get towards things like baptism and, and authentic faith and to walk them through a process, to be intentional about that as a huge home run. We are here to make disciples, to help people become followers of Jesus. And the metrics are, are huge. The majority of people who put their faith in Jesus do it when they're kids, kids and teenagers. And so I love that we're doing that. Um, what a cool thing. And, and kind of along with that, so uh, this is for kids uh, and their families or those of you who are adults, here in about a month, the, the, the 17th of December, we are doing a baptism service. And so if you're here and you've repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus, or in the next few weeks, if you're processing what that looks like, but you come to your own faith in Jesus, or your kids have come to faith in Jesus, we'd love for them to join in on that. We're going to, after our service here, head over to Central Baptist. They're so kind to us. Uh, we see them as partners in ministry. They're going to fill their tank for us. Uh, we decided this time of year is probably not a good time to do that in the river. Uh, so... I, I didn't care, because if we do it in a river this time of year, I'm wearing waders. It's not going to affect me one way or the other, but, you know, the people are getting baptized. Maybe, maybe we think about that. But we're going to Central Baptist Church and doing that on the 17th. And, and so if you've never been baptized, you've never followed Christ in that, um, and you are ready for that, we, we would encourage you to find one of our elders at the end of the service or sometime this week and have a conversation about what it would look like for you to join that and be a part of that great celebration, all right? Uh, <clears throat> Not many churches this morning are going to have a Dumb and Dumber reference, but you're in one of them. Uh, the image, if you've never seen the movie, I'm sorry, this is going to be wasted on you, okay? But you get the idea. Uh, the, the picture of Harry sitting in a field, um, pants halfway down. This is the reason I couldn't show the clip, you know, pants halfway down his rear end, you know, uh, and, and just in disgust while Lloyd, uh, who played by Jim Carrey, is, is looking at him going, we, you know, we just backtracked the tad. And, and then Harry turns around and says, a tad, a tad, you drove a sixth of the way across the country in the wrong direction, right? And then realizing that their hope, like they, they have this quest where they want to get to Aspen, Colorado. That quest is over. There's no hope because they've spent all their money. They have, they have ruined the trip. There is no, no way. And uh, Harry just goes, I'm just going home. I'm just going to walk home. And so he starts, you know, thumbing on this road. Nobody else is driving the road. Next thing you know, here comes Lloyd on a scooter. And he has traded their, traded their ridiculous van that actually looked like a giant dog. If you haven't seen the movie, none of this is going to make sense. If you have, you're like, that's hilarious. Oh, my gosh. I anyway, uh, you know, and he's on this little scooter that doesn't fit, too. It's just a little thing where he has to start it like a lawnmower. But he pulls up and then, you know, says, uh, you know, I, I got us this hog. 
And, and here's Harry looking at him going, you know, just what I think, you couldn't have been any dumber. You go and you totally redeem yourself, you know? And uh, it's, it's a great moment in, in a movie, but you're like, what does this have to do with anything? Uh, what, what is happening at this moment is that this whole sixth away across the country, they didn't, like, it wasn't intentional. They just went the wrong way. Next thing you know, they had found themselves in a situation where they had traveled so far that it seemed like there was no hope of getting to their ultimate destination of, you know, finding this woman and all the stuff that, that's involved in the movie, this silly movie. Uh, but but here's, here's the connection point, that in our lives, that's kind of the way we drift. We live our lives, we go out about our business, uh, we get sucked into the ideas and content, content of the world, we, 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 you know, start, like, you know, we just drift away from a, a relationship with our Lord, a relationship with Christ, into our own idolatry, into our own sin, into our own self-righteousness. And next thing you know, we're actually a sixth of the way across the country with no hope of finding our ultimate destination. What, what's gone on, if, if you've been with us, we've been studying this book of Micah, preaching through, straight through the book of Micah, just kind of verse by verse, reading the whole text, interacting. We got two weeks, this week and next week left in this amazing book, but it's a prophetic book. It's an Old Testament prophet who's looking at God's people 700, uh, about 700 to 750 years before Jesus shows up in the world. They are God's rescued and redeemed people. God has poured his grace and his mercy. He has made them a people. He has, like, they, God rescued them from slavery in Egypt. He gave them a homeland. He has blessed them beyond measure. He made hundreds and hundreds of promises to his people about how he would care for them, he would fight for them, he would rescue them. But their response, God has been faithful through the whole story of the Old Testament. He's just been faithful, 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 good, good, good. Their response to that is to drive a sixth of the way across the country in the wrong direction. It's just to continually move away from God into the, the, the idolatry and, and, and the, the just wicked. They, they found themselves in horrible, horrible practices of injustice, oppression, cruelty to each other, cruelty to, to children, cruelty to, to, to women. I mean, it just, it's, it's a really, they are really broken and messed up, and it didn't happen overnight. And part of what we've been trying to say is, listen, this in our context, our culture, it has been happening in the church of Jesus Christ. Those who claim the name of Jesus, there are so many ways where we've just kind of been sucked in without even thinking about it. We've embraced ideologies and concepts and and rhythms and idols into our lives that we can sing songs, we can interact with God, but the truth of the matter is we as God's people often find ourselves way away from God. How does, how does this happen? How did it happen in the, in the 7th century BC? How does it happen in 21st century America among those who call themselves Christians? Well, first of all, we're gonna understand that we do live in a broken, fallen world. The world is a hot mess. The world has denied their creator. They have failed to give thanks to him. Uh, the thankfulness is so important in the biblical narrative because when we stop and give thanks, it is a reminder that I'm dependent on God and he is the source of everything that is good. We need a day called Thanksgiving to remind us that for the believer in Jesus, thankfulness should be the posture of our hearts, right? But we don't. We're self-sufficient. We feel good about ourselves. We, we, we climb our own mountains. 
And, and so we live in a broken, fallen world that is a hot mess, that has rebelled against God, that, that is living in all kinds of idolatry, all kinds of brokenness. It is everywhere we look. Um, and, and, and the world itself, the world around us, then creates their own self-salvation experiments, their own pathways, religious pathways, because we down deep in the core of our soul are spiritual people. And so we begin to pursue a way to save myself in the broken world. And, and so, so the world then is drifting, it, not, not drifting, it is running headlong away from the true and living God who is the only hope for the world, the creator of heaven and earth. But what happens is that, that the church in any context, in any culture, like that brokenness shows up in different ways in different places in the world. What it looks like to live in a broken world, say, in in the Middle East right now looks a lot different than what it looks like to live in a broken world in Eureka and Pacific. What it looks like to live in the brokenness of the fall when you are in Central Africa is gonna show up in different ways than it does here. And there are cultural ways that our, our larger world around us embraces. And we become very aware of the sinfulness of other cultures becoming very blind to the brokenness in our own. Okay? And what happens is because of that, the church joins the journey. So all of a sudden, we're, we're following Jesus, but we're following Jesus by driving a six away across the country in the wrong direction. We're, we're, we're pursuing things that actually aren't honoring the gospel and our Lord and honoring the, the, the beauty of what God has done in our lives. We, we just smell and, and act just like the world around us in ways that are actually broken and, and, and evil. And on some levels, those things are over here in this lane of just rebellion and we're living against God and our sexuality and our ethics. But in other ways, that rebellion and brokenness shows up in our failure to love the broken and poor, to do justice and righteousness is what Micah's been talking about. And in other ways, it shows up in the fact that we're uber-righteous, that you end up with people who are, are like, they are holier than thou, they, they, they embrace this, this way of, salvation that is all based on their performance and now they become mean-spirited hardcore really uber moral uber right standing people yet their posture is not one that looks at all like the posture of jesus in the world and in all of these situations that like the the church drifts but the people of god are made up of individuals it's you and me if you're a follower of jesus you are a person in this and there are ways that the fallenness of the world infects the, the, the people of God, but there are ways that me, myself, I, I, my own struggle, I embrace and, and, and run to, drift to my sinfulness, my idolatry, my self-salvation experiments, my own pursuit of my own righteousness, and I become self-righteous. Or I begin to embrace values and attitudes that are actually spoken against in Scripture, but I find ways to baptize them in my own life. Like one of the things I think if Micah were to speak very clearly to America and the church in America specifically, he would really challenge us in how much we baptize greed. Get very comfortable with the American dream and, and, and making ourselves wealthy as something that is to be pursued no matter what. Now, don't hear me say there's something wrong with people having money. I'm not, but we, we will ignore a lot of scripture that speaks of what, what it looks like to be generous and to not pursue wealth at the expense of others. We will, we will ignore a lot of that because we're Americans. That's what we, what we build our country on. We'll just baptize it. And so what happens is that, that 
culture does this, then the, the people of God, but then you as an individual have places in your own life where you're drifting, where you're, the tendency is to pull you in the wrong direction. And in the midst of this, there is this amazing gift, this amazing gift that anytime people start using the word and preaching on it, we all get gun shy. And it's one of the best gifts that God gives people in the whole Bible. And it's the gift of repentance. This morning, that's what we're talking about. This is what's happening in the passage. We're going to talk about the amazing, beautiful gift of repentance. I hope that by the time we're done today, you'll process this so that on Thursday when you give thanks, one of the things you will be incredibly thankful for is the gift of repentance. The fact that God has offered you a way to turn. So the, the word repentance, all the New Testament words are really simple. It's just the idea of turning, turning and going a different direction. You, you're going to six, a, six it away across the country. It's time to, to abandon your efforts and find a new way and not only turn around, but turn around in such a way that you actually are going back towards Aspen. It's that simple if you know the movie, okay? This is what it is. Repentance is, is I'm headed this direction and I'm turning. But what we got to understand is that, that this idea of repentance is just embedded everywhere in the Bible and there's a, this consistent call to us to repent because we need to hear the message all the time. In fact, uh, this guy named Martin Luther, if you're familiar with his name, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther, 16th century person who was one of the most people, important people who've lived in all of history. He didn't mean to be, but, but he, he sparked this thing called the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, by nailing this document to the door of a church in his hometown of Wittenberg, Germany. And his goal was just to to create a conversation. But instead of creating a conversation, it got the Catholic Church really angry, but it lit a fire. 95 theses. He had 95 points that he wanted to have a conversation about. But in those 95 theses, this, this unbelievably important document in human history, the first thesis, the first thing he says in the 95 thesis is this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he called for the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he called for the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. In other words, the very first thesis, the first thing Luther is trying to say is when Jesus said repent, he wasn't talking about something you do once and then move on. He is saying repentance is a lifelong posture, a, a gift that is given to you, but it is a lifelong posture of somebody who is trying to figure out what it looks like to follow and trust in Jesus. And it is the need of every human being on planet earth. Every human being is headed headlong away from the creator who loves them towards their own, like their own sense of identity, building their life on themselves. And every human being on planet earth needs to hear the call from Christ. Repent, turn, go a different direction. And Luther's right that when you trust Jesus, it is the constant posture of your heart. Now, what you'll hear is then Christianity is this really sad sin-focused life where all I am is, is in sackcloth and ashes and upset and, you know, and curled up in a corner. No, repentance is actually one of the most joyful things in all of the Bible. In fact, it's, what I'm going to try to argue is that it is the path of true joy. It's a path of true, true joy. And so here's what happens. Micah writes this, this whole story, this whole book. It's a series of prayers, or, or not prayers, it's a series of sermons and, and indictments. He is functioning as God's covenant attorney. He comes as a lawyer on behalf of God, building a case against the nation. He has told them of their 
six of the way across the country, the, the places where they have just embraced the world around them's values, attitudes, and sin, and have run headlong away from the God who rescued them and redeemed them, and he is calling them to turn. But, but in the midst of this, he is building a case like this is why God's judgment is showing up. God loves you, but he can't let you keep running because you are going to end up like the further you drive, the worse it's going to get. And you are my people. I have to, to act, God says. And Micah is just saying, God is going to bring judgment. And it's justified. But in the midst of the whole book, he keeps saying, but the hope is in one who's coming. And he keeps pointing us, and the pinnacle of this, he keeps pointing us to Jesus as the hope for our brokenness, for the problems in the world. And the pinnacle is chapter five, where, you know, the great passage where he says, from you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, from you will come the, 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 uh, the king who was promised, the one, the king who will shepherd the flock of God, the promise that this king will come and he will be born in Bethlehem. And on Thursday night after the Turkey's over, because we talked about this when I preached on this. I'm going to turn on my Christmas music and start singing songs about Bethlehem. If you're already doing that, I guess I'm okay with that now. But uh, Thursday night, like, we're going to be singing a little town of Bethlehem. This, this, everybody's like, woo, yeah. Uh, wait, I love Christmas. Just got to have Thanksgiving first. That's my point. But anyway, I love Christmas. And, and start thinking about the fact that God sent his son into the world, into Bethlehem. And here's this guy, 700 years, makes this a crazy prediction that the, the king is going to be born in Bethlehem. What a beautiful thing is God points us to Christ as our hope. But he's been giving this indictment in chapter six. He kind of says, all right, Israel, here's your way forward. And that way forward is to, to start becoming people who do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with their God. But for six chapters in Micah, Micah's voice is, thus saith the Lord as he speaks to the people of God. In chapter seven, his voice changes to a conversation, a crying out to the Lord. And if I dig in and I get what's going on here, it's glorious and beautiful. Because what Micah is doing is he is now standing in the place of God's people, doing what all of them should be doing, in lament and repentance. So that chapter 7 is showing the nation as Micah does it. He's not teaching them how to repent. He is repenting. He is not teaching them how to wade into the brokenness of their own sinfulness. He is doing that. And his repentance deals with his own personal sin. He confesses his sinfulness. He becomes a confessor to God of the sinfulness and the wake of the brokenness that it has left in the nation. And he acknowledges the desolation and, and hollowness, the spiritual desert that is the world. And he cries out that the only hope of the world is that they will see the beauty of God's people and run to the mountain of God. But in the midst of it, there's an amazing hopefulness and joy in the God who is not done with you, the God who is for you, the God who has a better story than your own story, the God who rescues and redeems and forgives. And so what Micah does is Micah shows us when we hear the message of chapters one to six, when we hear the preaching of the gospel, when we see the beauty of Christ, when we are drawn to the glory of God, when we see this, all of a sudden I begin to see my sinfulness and my brokenness. He is showing us the right response to his own message. 
Micah is showing us what is the right way when I hear Micah preach chapters 1 to 6, what is the right way? And Micah shows us how weird respond it is through lamenting and repentance that leads to great hope. Great hope. That's what this passage is about. That's what's going on. And so what I want to do is I don't wade through this and I want to talk about what it looks like to be people of repentance. But before we get there, just understand, there's a couple things we've got to understand in this room together. First of all, this idea of repentance is absolutely 100 necessary for anybody's salvation. In other words, if you were here today and you were like exploring this idea of Jesus, or if you have this religious background and you think you're spiritual, but you have never actually turned from your sin, you cannot be rescued initially unless you turn from yourself, turn from your self-righteousness, turn from your sin, and turn to Christ. It is necessary. But it is also the ongoing lifestyle of every believer. Not a here and there. And so here's, here's the thing that, that we all need to hear in there. Some of you this morning, what I am prayerfully, like I'm praying for you this week and prayerfully this morning, some of you this in, who are in here, you have issues right now that are deep. Maybe they're hidden and you've kept the shame away from other people. But it is wrecking your relationship with Christ. And you are, you, you, you've been rescued, like you trusted in Christ. But, and for some of you this morning, there needs to be like an intense honesty and repentance. As, as you actually turn some of you have areas in your life where you say, I follow Jesus, but not here because this is mine. Or you've become like the Pharisees where you're just self-righteous because you think you're better than everybody else and you're proud and you're arrogant in your religion. And the people Jesus told to repent the most were those people in the New Testament. Jesus is constantly looking at the Pharisees, the self-righteous religious people and saying, you need to repent. And they're like, of what? We keep the whole law. You need to repent of that. Because you think because you're a good, righteous, moral person, you're okay with God. And that's a self-salvation experiment. You have to repent of that is what Jesus says over and over. And so we all need to hear this. A lot of us just, maybe it's just a reminder this week that all of life is repentance. Therefore, the reason is because every day I drift and every day I wake up and and, am reminding myself again that I need to, to, to turn from my sin, trust in Jesus, hold on to him with all of my life. But what Micah's going to help us see is that this is the path to wholeness. This is the path to joy. This is the path to hope for the, for the world. Okay? And so what he does is he models this. He shows us four things that are uh, necessary for repentance. If we're gonna, going to be people of repentance, if you're here today and you don't, don't have Christ, these four things need to happen in you today as you turn to Jesus from yourself. But every one of us, this needs to be the rhythm of our heart. Four things that he shows us that show up when we are authentically repenting. And the first one is contrition. The first thing that, that he shows us is that there is contrition. There is sorrow. There is sadness. There is brokenness. There's an acknowledgement of what's going on. Look at it again. If you keep your Bibles open so you're following along. In verse 1, he's, look at what he says. He says, Woe is me, for I have become as when the, uh, when the summer fruit has been gathered and when the grapes have been gleaned, there is no cluster to eat, uh, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. Woe is me. He starts off this, this phrase, woe is me. 
And woe is a Bible word. It's a word from, from the original language that, that, that is, is just seeing my state and realizing my destruction. Most of the time, the prophets are looking and, and they're pronouncing curses on the nation and they pronounce curses of woe. You are in trouble. The judgment of God is coming. You need to recognize this woe. But here the, the prophet is going, woe is me. I'm in trouble. I'm hurt. It, it, it reminds us of this, another story of another prophet where Isaiah, the prophet, who is a contemporary of Micah, lives at the same time. They hung out together at some point in time. Like there is evidence that they probably knew each other. And here's Isaiah, the prophet, who's a contemporary, who has this experience where, where his chin is lifted and he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. He sees the glory of God in the temple. He sees the beauty and the majesty of God. And his response is not, whoopee, this is fantastic. His response is, woe is me, for I am undone. Like, to, to really see God for all he is, is going to reveal in a devastating way my need for grace because the glory of God, if I'm, like, we was, like, we, we sing and cry out for the presence of God. And it's the thing we need the most in this room this morning is God's presence to be with us. But if God were to show up here in all of his glory were to be unleashed, we are sinful people. None of us would be left. And, and woe is me is going, I, I get this. I, Isaiah says, I, I, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And I have seen the Lord of hosts. Woe. Micah's way of putting, he says, this is... This is what I'm like. This is what it's like for me as I wrestle with the brokenness in the world around me and my own brokenness. It's like somebody who goes to, to, to a vineyard, exciting because it's fruit picking season. So, so you hop in your car and you drive over to Eckert's and you, you are so pumped. You're gonna, you're gonna get in the, the, the thing and they're gonna take you out there and you're gonna be able to pick all these apples. You're gonna fill your bags. You're gonna eat apples in the field. But when you get out to the field there, there's no apples, and the only ones that are left are, are, are rotten. It, it is a picture of people who think they're going to fill their lives with this and that and, and the things that God has given as gifts. Grapes are a gift. But now I'm living, like my soul desires this, and I'm like a person who goes again, it's hollow, it's empty, it doesn't fill. And now I see, now I see my utter need. And I am moved to brokenness. That's why often in the Old Testament, this sort of repentance, they would remove their clothes and put on sackcloth, like a, like a burlap bag, and wear it as a reminder of their own need for grace. It is a deep, like the Bible is calling us to have a deep sorrow and brokenness for our sin. Why? Because when I sin, I, I, I distort the glory of God I wreck my own life. There is a, like, the path to joy is seeing the devastating place that my sin has left me. The devastating place that the sin of the culture and the church, the people of God, like, is being deeply moved and broken when we see these things in the church. It is feeling the weight of glory and goodness and, and, and seeing that apart from God's kindness, there is no hope woe is me. Now, we've got to be careful here. 
Because when, when my sin is con- revealed, like when, when, when I, I have God convicts me of sin or when, when all of a sudden somebody finds out about my secret sins or all of a sudden people know that, that like this is part of your life or you do something that is horrible to a group of people and they see it so clearly. We often will have this deep sadness in our life because of the shame and consequences of that sin. But hear this, that is not gonna lead to repentance. If all I am is sad because I got found out, now somebody knows I really, I'm an awful person, I'm cruel and heartless to people, somebody finds out that I have this, this secret sin and, and now I know it's out and I'm ashamed and, and that shame is leading to me trying to protect and trying to defend myself and at the same time, now I'm sad because I've lost this or I got punished, you know. It's, it's the three-year-old who you catch when they're in trouble and they're sorry. Oh, I'm sorry, mommy, because they believe that sorry will keep them from getting spanked, it will keep them from getting in trouble, will keep them from experiencing consequences. They're not really sorry for what their sin has done and how it's wounded relationship. They're sorry because they're trying to stop the consequences of that. That's not what's happening here. We have to be very careful. Just because I'm sorrowful for my sin doesn't mean that that sorrow is gonna lead to repentance. Repentance is when I see the brokenness of my life and what it has done to the glory of God, the people around me and myself. And now I am sorrowful about my sin because I know how God sees it and what it's done. And the weight of it is real. Woe is me. Woe is me. I, I am in trouble. And, and, and so here we are in this place where there is so much grieving in our culture, but even the grief is becoming like new ways. So, so just let's look at our world. What's happening in our world? I listened to another podcast that reminded me that the depression and suicide rates among teenagers and young adults is skyrocketing. The suicide rates are, are like, it, you know, like one guy can, compared it to literally every light on your dashboard in your car is beeping and going red right now among our young people. And here's what we believe. We believe that the pathway out of that is a better program. And we don't see that the problem is the denial of the glory of God. But that then filters into the church, that filters into our own lives. What's the pathway out? We need to grieve this. Not yell at the world about it. Like our posture tends to be, we're right, you're wrong, if you just started following our way. No, when you see this, weep, hurt, know that this is caused by a disconnect from the creator God who loves these people. Woe is me. Like, this is a first. contrition, authentic. Like, to, to be honest, for some of us in this room today, we need to be confronted with the sinfulness of our sin and the devastation that it's already caused or the path that it's creating. We need to know that we are on this path that's going to lead us six, a sixth of the way across the country. And, the, and, like, and if we keep going, it's not just six away. We're going to end up in the ditch. We're going to end up wrecking our lives and ruining other people. And we need to grieve this morning over that in our own lives. And everybody goes, that's a heavy message. This is the path to joy. That's what, what happens. The second thing is confession. There is grieving. There is, secondly, confession. Confession, where this, this mourning, the, the, this feeling of brokenness over my sin, over the consequences of sin, over the need for uh, 
restoration of where it's le- leaves me, leads me to authentic confession. Our response, like, like a, back, back to, the, to, the, to the, your kids, okay? Everybody's had this experience, okay? Where you caught your kids in something. You remember this? You caught, and you know they did it. But what you hope is that they will come clean. You hope that they will confess it to you, right? All right, what did you do? And you start this dance with your kids, right? Start this dance. And the dance goes like this. Your kids then say to you, like a way of interacting with this, like they're trying to find out how much you actually know, right? So they will confess what you've already told them you know and no more. And then you will go, are you sure you're telling me everything? Yes, I am. Well, what about this? Well, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Now, the dance continues. They're gonna, like the whole thing is this dance between two people where one knows what you did and the other one is trying to find out how much you know so that I know how much to confess because I know if I confess that I'm sorry for the things that you know I did, I might get out of this, right? How often do we do this with God, with each other, in our culture? How much are we doing this dance of going, okay, what, what will shame me? What will expose me? What will get me in trouble? I will confess that. And, and how much of our sin, like how much of our prayer is prayer like this? Lord, we know we've sinned, and so we just confess our sin to you. And what we find in the Bible is that the Bible says when, when God is doing the work of repentance in our heart, when he, he starts really dealing with us, he starts pouring his grace into us, and he opens our eyes to our sinfulness. We're not just going to talk about sin in general. We're going to name our junk. We're going to start in in a way that agrees with God's understanding of our sinfulness. We are going to confess, not our sin, plural, the big idea. We are going to confess our sins. But not only that, we're going to acknowledge what the, the wake of brokenness that that sin has left in our lives, in the world around us, in the people of God. This is what he does. Look at this, what happens here in verses two through six here. Micah says, the godly has perished from the earth, and there's no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood. Each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil, to do well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, and the most upright of them is like a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman, of your punishment has come, and now their confusion is at hand. Now, the, the first three verses into verse four, he is naming the very sins that the people of God have taken from the culture, and it's just become part of their rhythm of life. It's, he's been talking about this, but he's no longer looking at them saying, you do this. He's confessing out loud the very things that, that the indictments of God have said about the people of God. Now, if you, if you pay attention down, I think it's in verse 6, he acknowledges, I'm a sinner. This repentance is not just for them. I am part of this in ways. But what he's doing is he's naming the sin. He's not playing around going, Lord, just forgive us. Like this, forgive us of our sins without clarity about what that means in, in such a way where I don't really have to deal with who I really am, where I've really failed, where I really struggle, where I've really set myself up and built my identity on something other than Christ. I am now confessing just in a generic, in a generic way that it doesn't affect me. That is not what the Bible is leading us to a repentance. Repentance is naming it, but it's more than that. Look at this, what happens then. Verse four again. The day of your watchman, of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in neighbor. Put no, uh, 
Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt, and the daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies are the men of his own house. What's he saying? This is what he's saying. He's saying, okay, let's name the sentence. Let's be honest about what the Lord has like, convicted us about. Let's just be honest about what's going on in our culture. People are accepting bribes. People are doing violence to one another. The evil are what we, uh, weaving webs of deceit to oppress the poor. Like the stuff that, that has been confessed, he just says it. But then he goes on to say, and here's what happens. Our sin is not just the wrong stuff we do. There is always a wake behind the sin. There's always a brokenness. And this is what we want. This is what we want with God. It's also what we want from each other. Is we want to have these lives where we go, oh, I'm sorry, you're right, I did that. And I then go, okay, I've dealt with this. I repented, I'm just gonna move on. I've done what I'm supposed to do. And what he is doing is he's saying, there is what we did. There's the wake, what's the wake? Our families are a wreck. Nobody trusts their neighbor. Everything in the world is broken. We don't have any relationships. Even the woman that you are sleeping with, you can no longer trust that, that she's gonna be right there beside you. Like this is the wake. He's saying, here's the sin, but it's wrecked our society in such ways that it's all the way down to the fact that families are breaking apart, okay? This is, this is like, like picture this, dad who has been driven and worked his whole life and he has basically abandoned his kids to work forever and when his kids turn 13 14 they start resenting and his response is to come in and say you know you're you're right i'm really sorry about that will you forgive me and maybe they say yeah i'll forgive you and then thinking okay i've drawn a line of sand there's no no wreck behind me listen there is a wake to that and, and the kids that have been, felt abandoned, just a, I'm sorry, and a quick meal and one date night's not going to fix all that. Repentance is wrestling with the fact that there is a wake in my sinfulness, and that wake affects the, my relationship with God. It affects who I am. It affects so many things in my life. So let me pry into something that's real in the church. Our, our, our culture has changed its values in terms of sexuality, Right? And, and, and 10, 15 years ago, the idea of porn, even the culture went, eh, it's kind of gross. I know a lot of people do it, but it's kind of gross, kind of weird, kind of margins. Like, you don't confess it, you don't act like it, you don't. And what's happened in the last 10 years is porn has become just mainstream. Everybody does it. You're just not normal if you don't. But it's, it's I don't know if you caught this this week, it's pushed past being mainstream to where if you're not doing it, you're just weird. And so, so our speaker of the house, who's a believer in Jesus and part of our faith tribe, I'm, this is not about politics, it's, it's just understanding this moment. Our speaker of the house made a speech where he talked about the fact that he and his son uh, both have covenant eyes and that they're accountability partners. In other words, covenant eyes is something that when, when people struggle with porn, you probably ought to put it on your phone or something like that that protects you from going to it, sends a report to your partner. It, it's a way of developing some accountability. And all he said in the thing was, hey, listen, I have this on my phone. My son has it. We, we, like the reports go to each other. We talk to each other about this. The world went nuts and there were some people who called him a, an abuser because he wanted to protect his son from porn. How dare you not just let him live the life he wants to live? And if he wants to do this, it's, you are just repressing. I mean, it, that's where it went, okay? And so our culture is just, 
But every study, every study of the church recently is telling us that between 60 and 70% of us are users of porn. And I know I'm probably meddling in a space where some of you guys are, are, are dealing with it. You have deep shame and you're sad about the shame of this and you can't overcome it. I get it. But repentance is understanding there is the sin. There is a wake to this. A massive wake. You are wrecking your own soul. You are making it impossible to look at your wife in a way that doesn't bring comparison. And if she finds out it's going on, she is going to have a really hard time trusting you. But let me lovingly just say this very clearly. When you click on Pornhub, you have joined the sex slavery industry. You have joined the objectification of women. And so it's good for us to have this moment where we go, man, I gotta figure this out. But part of this story, part of wrestling with this is to understand that this runs deep in you if this is a struggle. And repentance is confession, but it's not just confession of the fact that I do it. I'm sorry, Lord, I'll try harder. It is realizing how deep it runs and is beginning to out loud say to people who love you, to your church, to your community of faith, I, I know it's wrong and I know it's leaving awake. I have to take necessary steps. And for some of you, it literally means you probably ought to get into a support group. People will know, right? This is what confession is. It, is. it is taking what is hidden and getting it out in the open where I agree with God, not just about the brokenness of my sinfulness, but the wake it's left behind. That's what is happening. He's, he's confessing the sin. He's saying, but that sin has devastated our society. We need to be honest about both. It, it is confession. What does it look like for us to be so broken over our sin that we begin to honestly confess and deal with our sin in ways that honor Christ and move towards like true forgiveness? And so, so a lot of us grew up in a church where confession was a, something I did in a priest thing. Forgive me, Father, for I've sinned, right? Some of you are like, oh, gosh, I remember that. And they give you a few Hail Marys or a few prayers to pray, and here, you atone for your sin. Well, you can't atone for your sin. The only place your sin can be atoned for is at the cross of Christ. But do you realize how shallow that understanding of confession is? It feels weird that I have to go to a priest. I would not agree you have to go to a priest, but I will tell you that confession of sin is being honest about it with yourself and to those who it's affected and even in your community of faith so that you begin to take the necessary steps to see Christ change the metrics of your life. You're not just saying, you're not just saying I'm going the wrong way. You are starting to turn, Okay. That's, that's confession, and it is a gift from God. It is the path to healing, because, listen, all of this stuff that I'm talking about ends up in a ditch. It ends up in a ditch. It does not end up with you having the happy life, the joyful life. This is the path to true joy, and this is what Mike is trying to say. It's the third thing that happens is there is, uh, there is contrition, there is confession, then there's consecration. Verse seven, as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Here's what Mike is helping us see. Repentance is not just turning over a new leaf. It's not getting a fresh start. It's not starting over. Repentance, 
Everywhere in the Bible is not just a turning from something, it is a turning to something. It is, it is not literally back to Harry and Lloyd. It is not just that I am going a sixth away in the wrong direction. We are headed to Aspen. But the only place where we can fi- find forgiveness and grace is the gospel. It's Jesus, right? The only place we can do this is to, to come back to the beauty of Christ and hold on to him. And so what, what he is modeling for us is, is true repentance. It says, listen, for me, I am hoping in the God of salvation. I'm not hoping in people turning over a new leaf. I'm not hoping for for people having a better day. I am trusting Christ. I believe in him. I believe he has the power to save. I believe he has the power to forgive. I believe he has the power to cleanse. I believe he has the power to change the metrics of my life. And I'm going to turn from him to following Jesus. And you will say, Mike, you don't know how hard this is. You don't know how many other people are involved in this. You don't know how much I've been hurt. I get this. We, we have to, to deal with your mental and emotional health. We have to deal with the brokenness of your life. But I am telling you, there is no better road as my, like the old Stephen Curtis Chapman said, there is no better road than the road that leads to Jesus. That should have got an amen. There's no better road than the road that leads to Jesus. Turning from whatever it is that I am doing that's got me running headlong and turning to Christ. This is why John, Jesus' best friend on planet earth, is writing a letter in 1 John 1, 9. He says, listen, if you, if you say you don't have sin, you're turning yourself and God into a liar. But if you confess your sin, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Turning to Jesus means that I am turning to the only one who can forgive, authentically forgive, and authentically cleanse. In other words, it's turning to what Christ has done, the person of Christ as, as our God and Savior, and is saying, my life is a hot wreck. I am broken. I have tried to overcome this my whole life, and I need to process repentance, and I am turning to you as my only hope. You are the one who forgives. Running to the cross of Christ. And you're the one who can cleanse me. This cleansing is not like a one time bath, it's this life of transformation of Christ cleansing us from our brokenness. For the follower of Jesus who's beginning to figure this out, it's a daily adjustment to this. My guess is that in this room, there's a lot of people where this is running. Like if you're really listening to me, it's going to run deep. Repentance. True repentance is about to take you on a long journey of figuring out what it looks like to really follow Jesus. Not to just say, Jesus, you saved me, but to say, I have got to find a path to the road that is to him. It's trusting in Jesus, believing the gospel day after day. And repentance leads us to, to, to a Savior who loves you, who is for you, who will never give up on you. Uh, so, so in uh, Sam Storm's writing in the um, Gospel Coalition uh, blog said this, general repentance is simply not a rethinking of one's relationship to sin and God. Repentance must first be rooted in the realization of how sinful an action, emotion, uh, belief, or way of life is. Then one must be grieved by how offensive and grieving sin is to God.
Not simply afraid of God's retribution for your sin. In other words, repentance must be rooted in a high value on God, not a high value on oneself. Only then can turning away from sin towards holiness truly be called repentance. The failure to repent is thus a form of idolatry. Your refusal to repent is to elevate our own souls above the God's glory, but when one does repent, it leads to the forgiveness of sin, the removal of divine discipline, the restoration of one's experiential communion with God. He's saying repentance and turning to Christ in faith is how you experience blessing, the kindness, the grace, and mercy of God. That's why it's a gift. It's not God with a nervous eye twitch going, stop it, cut it. It's God, God is a loving father going, come home. I love you. I'm for you. Which leads to the fourth thing is confidence. Um, confidence. The last several verses of this, as, he is process, as Micah is processing repentance, he begins to paint a picture of the God who is not done with Israel. He talks about rebuilding walls, reminding of this moment that's going to happen about 150 years in their future where the walls will be torn down and God is going to send Nehemiah who will rebuild the walls. And he starts talking about God's kindness and graciousness of restoration, of bringing them back home. And what he says, like the whole, you can read this for yourself. I'd love to do just verse by verse, but I got to get off this stage and we're going to experience communion here in a minute and all that sort of stuff. But, but what I want you to see is what he does is he goes, this repentance, when you hear the message of the gospel and it's a call to turn, when you do this, it's the path to realize that God's not done with you yet. He is for you. He is drawing you, and, and he is going to work through you. He's going to change the metrics of your life. He's going to give you grace and forgiveness. He's going to rebuild what's broken. He's going to care and love for you. God does that for an individual. He's going to do that for the nation, the people of God. He will do that in the church when we begin to really lament and repent for the things that are broken in the, the context of the church, when we see the church failing to love our neighbors, to care for the broken, to do justice, to, to, where the church is entrenched in, in just as much sin as the culture, when we begin to cry out to God and just beg and plead God for mercy, that it puts us in the path of this blessing, this kindness, this grace, this faithfulness of God. It, it, it's what produces joy in us. Because the barrier between us and our relationship with God is, is removed and this beautiful depth of beauty and relationship keeps growing and, and, and being enhanced, and, and grace does this. It's a picture. The picture of this in the Bible is a, Jesus tells this beautiful story of the um, prodigal son. So, so you have this kid who, who looks at his dad and says, I want to take my, take my inheritance. I'm going to go live my life the way I want to. He ignores the goodness, kindness, grace of the father. He takes what isn't really his to begin with away from the father and runs away to the far country. He spends his money on crazy living, on prostitutes, and on, 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 on you know, just everything you would think that it looks like to run from God. And he runs out of funds, and all his friends ditch him when he's out of money, and so he, he, he's helpless and hopeless, and he runs, and he begins to help feed pigs, but the only food he can get is from the pig slop. And so he's literally in the pig pen, rolling around trying to find leftover corn to, to get it rinsed off the poop and stuff that's all over the corn so he can have a bite for himself. And from there, he, he's reminded of the goodness of his father. The goodness of his father. And he goes, I need to go home. I need to go home thinking that his father will only receive him as a slave, but he, he goes home. This is what it looks like. It's, it's, 
Repentance is a gift because it leads us back to a father who doesn't just accept us as a slave. He puts us back at the table. He kills a fatted calf. He holds a party. The God who is ready for you to run back to him. This is where you experience beauty in your Christian life. It's why Luther said it. All of life is repentance because every day I drift. Now, some of us in our Christian life, that drift is pinned way away. Some of you, it's just a daily reminder of, I, I, I need to readjust. I need to wake up in the morning and confess my sin and wrestle with, with the brokenness and I need to come back to Christ. And there's just this constant beauty of finding the beauty of Jesus in that moment. For some of us, it's big. And some of us, it may be that we haven't, haven't honestly trusted Christ for the first time. Here's what happens in the text. He then talks about the desolation of the nations and what he says is this repentance. When this repentance takes root, the nations from their brokenness will see it and come. So watch this. Here's what he's getting at. It's easy to stand up here and bemoan and decry the evil of the world. But God's gracious remedy for that is our repentance. Our repentance, not theirs. People who are standing at a ball game holding up a sign in a self-righteous way that decries the sinfulness of the world and then has repent, don't really get, get it. It's them seeing the humble, repentant lives of God's people that's going to draw the world. And so it's a beautiful picture of repentance. And here we are at the end. What do we do with this? And the answer is we repent. We come to the Lord's table. We're going to do that. The band's headed up here. We're going to come to the Lord's table. We're going to celebrate communion here in just a second. And we're going to come back to the reminder of the cross of Jesus where my sin was paid, where where, where the brokenness of our lives was dealt with, where redemption and atonement is available. We're going to do this. We're going to sing and celebrate Christ because he is good to us and be reminded of his good gift of grace and repentance in our lives. But before we do that, I just I, I want to pause and give all of us a moment to deal seriously, seriously with God. Because my guess is that some of you in here need to hear this message deeply and your repentance runs deep. And I'm not going to do anything weird with you, but I am going to ask you to wrestle with that. And we're going to have a, a moment of silent prayer where everybody can process repentance, but where some of us need to wrestle deeply. So I'm just going to ask that every person in this place, just bow your head and close your eyes, okay? Other people are not looking around. And I'm not going to single anybody out in this room. But I am going to ask you to be honest. If you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus... but you know you need him and you need to repent and believe the gospel. Would, would you just, like, where you're at, like I said, nobody else is looking, just lift your hands. Lift a hand to me and show, show me that that is something that you're wrestling with or processing this morning. Is there anybody here who needs to just today repent of their sin and believe in Jesus for the first time? Are there some of you in here that, to be honest, you're here and you're like, man, I got something that runs deep. It might be hidden or it might be known to a few around you, but 
it's, it's actually leaving a pretty big wake and, and, and it's devastating for you. And you're like, I, I just, like, is a way of starting the process of confession. I'm okay to lift my hand. I'm not gonna ask you to tell me what it is or anything like that. And I'm not gonna come find you right now. But you would just say, I got something, something serious and I need to repent. Like, repentance is real. I, I need to wrestle with this this morning. If that's you, would you just lift your hand as a way of acknowledging that you're wrestling with that sort of thing? I see that. Anybody else? Just real honesty this, this morning that I, I need to process repentance. There's something that is real in my life. I could name it to you right now. And I just, I want to wrestle with that. Good, I see that. Anybody else? It's a chance to be honest right now. Listen, if you're here and you're like, <laughs> this freaked me out, Mike, I, I, raising my hand is too hard. I, I get it, I get it. <laughs> and I don't think you repent because you do or you don't because you don't, but I'm just, let me lovingly say, if this is where you're at, don't do this alone. Find somebody you can talk to who you can c- confess and start wrestling with your own sinfulness. Can help you start processing what it looks like to follow Jesus. Our elders love you. There are people in this room that would be more willing to meet and talk and pray with you. And so I'm going to give everybody just a moment, about a minute here, just to silently confess your own sin. And then we're going to sing and celebrate communion. And when you come to this table, come clean. Come clean.